This week on Erotic Awakening, Minion, Mexico, and Mummies. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. We'd like to thank our latest Patreon supporters. Among other perks, Patreon supporters get free Kickstarter cards or a book, as well as audible excerpts from our book, Living a Mess, and Zoom discussions, of which the next is on July 19th. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Hi, Ginger. We do have Ginger here. Hi, Ginger. Oh, let's hope that uh, other people that uh, work at the space don't realize we have Ginger the puppy. Oh, she's locked in the office. It's too hot to have her outside. Yes, unfortunate. Um, So today on the podcast, we are going to be speaking with Minion from the Pittsburgh, who we've known for many years now, as well as a, uh, uh, as well as not a lot else, because that was such a great conversation. It went an entire of 40 minutes and it started at a very kind of out there, broad, political, scopey sort of conversation, which Mm -hmm. quickly moved into, let's get into how kinky we can be. Exactly. So, um, and I don't want to give too much away about it. I want you to go listen to the podcast, make your own, and and just go check it out. It's a very very interesting conversation we had with him. Well, I, I would like to give enough info so people know why to go listen to it. Um, Minion is a um, black slave with a white dominant. So you know, so like you said, we talk a little bit about politics, and then we move into. The whole power exchange thing. Yep. And Ooh. and some of their experiences <laughs> in power exchange. Exactly. Um, pretty interesting conversation that it, we had. There. It was fabulous. But before we get into there, uh, a little bit of business beforehand, and we'll be doing the podcast a smidgen out of order because we're going to plug that in on the back, but that's going to be coming up really quickly. Uh, the only thing we're going to talk about before we get there is we have three kinks to go on about, uh, as well as uh, what we've been doing to cultivate joy lately. So, which is... Uh, a lot, you know, because because uh, anybody that's been listening knows that 2020 is kind of fucked, mm. right? So between COVID and having to stay home, having to close down the space, not being able to see our poly partners, not being able to see our friends, not being able to see people at now we're introverts, so that's not a huge deal. But man, after time, it, it's it's still something. Make an, make an extrovert out of me yet? Yeah, exactly. So and then we lost Bat. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was something else in there as well. So COVID. Shutting Personally, down the space. And as well as part the space has been running, of course, on a global, on a larger uh, perspective, racial inequities. Right. It's been a big part of our lives and the, the news and everything lately. Uh, and we could actually, there's a variety of smaller things that are you and me personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a variety of things. That, and, well, and everybody's got their 2020s been a shit year. Right. So we lost Bat. We have her daughter at our house, mm-hmm. which totally changes up our schedule, and then friends of ours, like close friends, just lost their apartment to a fire. Right. So luckily, um, well, they still have to find the kitty cats. They haven't found the kitty cats yet. But luckily, they had just bought a house that they were going to be moving into somewhere between three and six weeks from now. I forget the time frame. So, well, they don't have a lot to pack. Right side of life, huh? I, I, I was telling um, um, Bat's daughter that that's the way you would like to move. As long as nobody got hurt, I think you would be okay if everything just went, poof, oh, yeah. Yeah. gone in a fire and start fresh. Well, because you got, because we are very fortunate to have the appropriate level of renter's insurance where somebody can hand us a check and say, here, just go replace all your crap. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, and that's, they did have that's, owner's insurance. So that's, that's makes nice. it a little bit different. The the point being, because there's been a lot of negativity, a lot of not great stuff happening in 2020, you and I have taken over for the past uh, three weeks now, four About weeks. About three weeks, yeah. To be paying a, a lot of attention to every day to make sure you're doing something to cultivate joy. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was for us trying to determine what the hell does that actually mean? What does cultivate joy mean? Yeah, because it's not as it's not the same thing as satisfaction. So we do this challenge with two friends of ours, and we've been doing it for quite a while, and it's all about taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So there's four of us, and um, we have a spreadsheet and everything, and we used to do it every six weeks, and now we do it every two weeks. And on the spreadsheet, each of us have nutrition, each of us have exercise, each of us have wellness, mm-hmm. and I think we have six categories. Yeah. And we get to define what that means for us because each of us do nutrition differently. Each of us do exercise differently. Each of us do wellness differently. And then we have other categories that we can pick on our own. So I pick sleep, um, tidiness organization, mm-hmm. and what is the other one? Um, EABCS, you know, my work stuff, and satisfaction is one that we all have. And, you know, we also... All that being about keeping a good, healthy balance, right? Right, because we want to live longer and be healthy when we do it. And be happy and be Mm -hmm. balanced about it. So the the whole cultivating joy was the recognition of, you know, it's great that we're getting out there and exercising and eating well and journaling and meditating and all that kind of shit. But there also has to be this point, uh, you know, part of life is being, is it enjoying yourself and and not hedonistic to the extent of nothing else matters, but don't go the opposite direction either and say, ah, I just gotta, you know, I gotta, I can't eat this, this donut because I'm super focused on my health today. You know, it means that, well, I can't eat a dozen donuts, but right. You know, slowly, mindfully enjoying a donut or a fuck or whatever, right, that cultivating joy, that how, taking a moment to be joyful. And I think what triggered that, because um, every two weeks on this challenge thing, we can switch something up in our, in our challenge, you know, one of the categories, or we can add something to it, take something away. And um, it's not a static thing. And I think bat passing had a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. that bat had a lot of joy in life. She had a lot of struggles but she also had a lot of joy to try to balance that out. And I think when we were, you know, when I remember things about her, that's what I remember is the joy that she, she did things with, you know, her job, her travel, her books, you mm-hmm. know, everything. And it's like, you know, I think that's what I want to remember about her. And I don't know that I cultivate enough of that in my life. I've got a lot of things I do. I've got projects. I, I love accomplishments. I have a lot of satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. So when my list gets checked off, I have satisfaction. But there is a slight difference between satisfaction and joy. And I want some more joy in my life. And part of it is a mindset. And part of it is learning how to reach out and grab it, right? Mm-hmm. So... Like you, the first day you went and had an African meal. Yeah, uh, definitely food is one of my things. Yeah, so to figure out what brings you joy. So for me, I will maybe jump on my bicycle, and my goal is to cultivate joy. 
mm-hmm. right? So instead of doing the same old path over and over again, I go find a new path. Same with my walks. I've been trying to, trying to find new paths. So cultivate joy. Um, the other morning, I knew I was only going to be able to ride two miles. It was going to be the same old bike path again. So to cultivate joy, I started jamming to my queen music. I put my phone on my little holder. I found my queen station on Spotify. I started blaring it, and I'm going to be on a bike path. It's not going to annoy people for all of 20 seconds, right? Get on the bike path, ride with my music, and just smile at everyone and wave good morning, you know, on, mm-hmm. on the morning thing. And to me, that cultivated joy. Sometimes it's just a matter of, I like to take pictures when I walk. If I see a pretty flower, if I see a chipmunk, if I see a bunny rabbit, anything, I like to take pictures. And if you look back over time in our, like our, our photographs right. <laughs> that we have a ton of, you'll see a lot of them that are just walks with Dawn taking pictures of cardinals and cocks mm-hmm. and you know, that's my thing. And it brings me joy and to remember that again and to be doing it, you know, because there's so many things that I could just mind, mindlessly go walking because it's my exercise. Right. But why not add a little joy into it? The motorcycles. I just added, I just cultivated joy today. How so? Well, I dressed and was going to go walking, mm-hmm. right? It's a hundred degree day, but I was going to go find a path that was shady, and go walking for at least an hour. And instead, I remembered I was supposed to be calling the bike shop about a recumbent bike that they were supposed to be building for me to try out. And they didn't answer their phone, so I drove over there, and they had both of them ready. And I came home with the recumbent bike. You did, you did. So, And I was all excited. And um, um, B&S mm-hmm. at Date yep. J... B dates J. Okay. Wrong. Yeah, wrong B and S. Right. Okay. <laughs> the other B and S. Okay. He owns a recumbent bike. Oh. And so I sent him a picture and I'm like, oh, look what I think I got. And so he's all excited for me. Good. Right. So it's just neat to to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. But if you, what have you done today to cultivate joy? I as a matter of fact, and, and I would love to get, you know, the kinky podcast and all that to get back into that, that that was that what we were doing. And I think that if if the space was open, we might be trying to cultivate joy via who we play with and that kind of thing, right? Um, and certainly we've played some together. But for us, the, the cultivating joy has been a little bit more not based on things like that. So beyond right. that, right? Right. So I did my exercise walk today. I did a uh, um, three or 5K walk. And towards the end of it, and Spotify was actually working for once. It was playing all this hard, this fast sort of stuff, right? right? Towards the end, it hit this song. This is a Echoes, uh, oh. a wonderful Pink Floyd song, but this is a version of it by Rodrigo and Gabriel, who are fantastic musicians, yes. right? And uh, so for my, my um, cultivating joy today, I, I finished my walk early. I shifted from power walking exercise to slow relaxed and told my brain to fuck off and just chilled and listened to this song. It is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and for the next 18 minutes, the podcast will be us just <laughs> jamming to this song. But you know, that is one of the things that I've done too. So I jammed a queen mm-hmm. but yesterday morning. Um, uh, Bat's daughter brought home her little finger piano. Yes. And I started telling her, oh, my God, there was this lap harp, which I couldn't remember the name of it, 
in Kentucky that I wanted to buy and didn't buy. And we started looking up YouTube videos, trying to figure out what the name of it was that I was trying to remember. And it's a lap harp. It's a zither, zither. And um, so we're looking through all this Appalachian music and just enjoying it, just Mm -hmm. having a lot of joy in music. So, and then I started listening to The Who the other day. It's a Mongolian metal band that some of us... Roger Daltrey. Not Roger Daltrey. It's the Who, H-U, which stands for human. And uh, I was watching their charity concert the other day while I was working here at the space in my office. And that was just, you know, so sometimes sometimes we just do things. and so, So sometimes it's what we do. Sometimes it's a cultivation of it. So just to have that focus is really working. So there you go. Well, that's, that's what Dan and Dawn are doing with well, their time that's got right to now. Do with since, kink and all that kind of we, shit. I don't know. Since have we don't have the space to play in. Uh, but there you go. There's a peek at what we do when we're not uh, uh, sucking and fucking. Uh, beyond <laughs> that, uh, one of the little joys that I got today uh, recently was we got our first Amazon sale from our book, The Polyamory Toolkit, from Mexico. Ooh. We have sold the book in uh, a lot of your lot of America books. Most of our sales are in America. Second is Canada, but then we hit a variety of Europe. Europe and Australia. And Australia, right? Just kind of trickle in here, trickle that. Uh, got our first Mexican sale. I don't know why, that, but that brought me joy. <laughs> uh, and for uh, we're going to get into the interview we talked about in just a second, but first, Dawn, you got more tentacles. I do. Let me pull them up here. So I got from Bassano Shibari four scenes from obscure manga movies so they sent me little little clips little photos so i'm gonna have to go look up those movies and then andy sent me something um it was called an oni dick o-n-i and it looks to be a white ceramic dick (laughs) with blue tentacles painted on it so it looks like um a dildo Mm -hmm. except it's ceramic and it's like white and blue which is like colors people collect with China and, you know, uh-huh. their China right, dishes right. and stuff. And that's what this looks like. I don't know that I would use it because it's ceramic, but that's, mm. that's what it is. It, it's a dick. And <laughs> and uh, more than one person uh, sent me, Boy Bell sent me, and then somebody else sent me the uh, Bad Dragon now has a coffee mug with the Bad Dragon logo on it. So what kind oh, of nice. power move is that if I take that to work, right? Because... 90% of the people you assume at work are just going to not know what that logo stands for. And right. Once in a while, you could be in the middle of some meeting with some director and manager and VP and somebody say, whoa, is that a bad dragon? Because, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, how do you, bad dragon, for people that are not aware, make huge dildos. Monstrous dildos. Lovely dildos. They make uh, dragon dildos and griffin dildos and all kinds of uh, uh, mythical creature I was going to buy you this bad dragon coffee cup and not tell you about it and just keep it till some holiday of some sort. But uh, although it was only $12, shipping was $13. And that just rubs me in the wrong direction. So I get it. But as someone that has to ship out stuff like my um, hooded aftercare blankets and stuff, shipping's not cheap. So it it has gone up. So let's get into our fetishes so we can get into that awesome interview. Interview, Indeed. So I have some for you. And, uh, I did pick them out, and now I'm sitting here thinking, I picked them out because I liked them. Okay. 
<laughs> well, then we've got your answer on those then. So, so the first one was, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, I already know your answer. Nipple clamps. I absolutely like nipple clamps. I have a side note here. You do. Using. Using. <laughs> I will side note here. I did a, inter, I did a um, inventory on all my toys. Yes. I am sorely lacking in nipple clamps. They keep breaking. I've got two pair in my last pair. I am lacking in all kinds of stuff. My toy kit is just disappearing. Because you give it all away. I don't give it all away. Where's the orange thing? Okay, that's one. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. That's one thing. Yeah, I know. But we have a whole bag of floggers missing too. So I don't know where that went. And that's a lot of... A lot of the stuff. It's got to be around here somewhere. I hope you're right. So, and, you're right. and you have a box of stuff with our bench at the house. All of our canes are there. Yes. So there might be nipple clamps there. There's a couple canes in there. I went through that box too. Oh. Well, I've got some nipple clamps, but um, I like them so much I bought my own pair. I'm not suggesting we're having a national nipple clamp shortage. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't have enough. My birthday's coming up. I'm Your just birthday's saying. coming up. Maybe I'll buy you some nipple clamps. Me. Would you like to try them out? No. <laughs> What's next? Well, same theme. Um, nipple play and torture, which I usually consider two different things, but it can be the same thing. Nipple I, play, nipple torture is nipple play, but nipple play is not necessarily nipple torture. Yeah, I would go into it with two different directions. You know, if, mm-hmm. if somebody said, oh, let's do some nipple play, I would not try to, you know, I wouldn't use my, my uh, spiky tooth. Right. Uh, love them both anyway. Doing, not receiving. Right. Okay. So, and I love, 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 I love nipple torture. How do you feel about it? It makes me so wet. See, listeners, <laughs> that's why you listen. That's why you got through cultivating, speaking of cultivating joy. Cultivating joy. Hmm. I will show you my nipple, nipple clamps. I bet they're clamps. in my office. <laughs> and uh, Dawn, uh, with your yes, claustrophobia, sir? you're probably not a big fan of the mummification. It depends. Right. So I do have major claustrophobia. And when we do the cling wrap stuff, um, I do freak out a bit and you seem to enjoy it. <laughs> so I don't mind you freaking out. It now. is it is playing with my fear and I do get into some fear play. And it's it, it, the harder part is that it, mummification gets sweaty. And if it's around my face, I'm absolutely going to freak out. So, But for you, it's not about mummification so much as it is the claustrophobia. Right. It's the claustrophobia. And I, I wish I liked mummification more. And not all mummification gets sweaty. You just have to know how to do it right. I don't know how to do it right. But fortunately for us, the people over at Kink Academy do know how to do it right. <laughs> you can find everything from your basic mummification supplies to accessories Wrappings, full wraps, moving your mummy, mummification with duct tapes, reflections on mummification, and all kinds of cool stuff over there at the Kink Academy. The Kink Academy is our uh, current kind of sponsor-like thing. Yeah. Uh, regardless, they're saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Here's, uh, we're going to pay for your fees this month and want to tell somebody about something that's over at Kink Academy. And that's super easy to do because they have so many cool videos. So go, if you want to find out more about mummification, head over to kinkacademy.com and just type in mummification into the search bar and you'll find it. Awesome. It's fun to watch. I saw someone mummified on a luggage cart once. Only once. And Only then, once. Then and then it was against the rules Don't not to use the luggage, luggage carts. Because <laughs> I tell you, as much as I like going to these events, 
The Sunday I can't find a fucking luggage cart to get. Uh, oh, I hate that. Try it when you're vending. Oh, I just went out and bought another cart. Yeah, by the I was going to say, you go out and buy your own damn carts. All right. And that is going to take us into our interview with Minion. As we mentioned, Minion is a, uh, well, Minion, actually, the first thing we did is we asked Minion to self identify, let them put their own words on it. Still sounded far away. Can I smell my tea? Yes. So lately, <laughs> uh, I've stopped drinking coffee. What is that? Tea. My daddy would die. Or rather, he'd probably kill people. That's what I've always said. But I've, I've, <laughs> I've really become this this tea fanatic. Apparently, Yes, apparently, Don, from the look on your face, this tea should be called uh, Mud. ass. <laughs> <laughs> Like mud, minty mud. <laughs> oh, uh, we're gonna go ahead and pick things up from right there. So, first off, uh, slave minion or minion, thank you for being on the podcast. Do me a favor and let's start off by um, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, give us a little bit of a self description. How do you describe a minion? Well, this particular general minion of Pittsburgh, um, I am a cisgendered woman, I am African American. I am queer, uh, as in fuck you, and I am also an Afro-spiritualist um, by choice and by blessing. Um, I am also uh, just a very, I identify as a slave, and uh, all of those things are kind of integral as a part of my, my whole general identity. So now, now, one of the things that we um, have probably already said on the podcast prior to this, but I'm going to reemphasize it now. We enjoyed our conversation with you so much. We are actually doing it again. Yeah, because I forgot to record it last time, but because we just like you. Uh, <laughs> so thank you very much for being back on the podcast. And um, one of the things that I asked and that Dawn and I asked you to do last time was to confidently and comfortably speak up if we mm -hmm. said something that was weird or offensive or just off base. And I want to start with that. One of the things that I said as I started to um, drive you toward your career or path as a presenter, and mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about that regardless of your resistance, is that you were... <laughs> A very well-spoken person, and that was the—that's a point where you—you you said, "Hold on a second, let's mm -hmm. be clear about that." So let's go into that again, if you don't mind. When, no when problem. Somebody like myself says, "Well, you're a very well-spoken person," you'd said that that would that could be problematic. Yes, um, especially for people like uh, African American people like myself. Um, language and the African American community has always had an interesting relationship. Um, and as African-Americans, we are often chastised for speaking in what has become our native language, um, here in America and abroad, which abroad in the diaspora, which is American vernacular, uh, African-American vernacular English. So, um, the idea being that we speak improperly and in fact, that's not the case. We just have an entirely different language. 
from our experience. So the idea of telling someone of African-American descent that they speak well um, negates that history of essentially having created our own language out of our own experience um, and instead given into the societal pressures of speaking in a language that was not essentially meant for us. So it's a mark of um, kind of classism and elitism and also um, denigrates the fact that we do essentially speak two languages um, and denies the reality of the language which many of us do naturally speak. So it's, it's just a matter of um, it, it's supposed to be a compliment, and we understand that. However, it denies our history with language in this country, and essentially, it's considered a compliment for doing something that society always expects us to do, as if we are less capable of that, um, especially if we choose not to, 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 to stick to our own language as opposed to what is considered standard English. So, um, there's just a lot of history there. Cool. See, and that's something that we wouldn't even have, I know we're going to move on to the topic, but something that we wouldn't even have thought of because Dan says that when he hears anyone that he thinks he wants to push into being a presenter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, so it's, it's a normal, yeah, it's a normal thing he would say, you know, and so I wouldn't have picked up on it. And the funny thing is, you had mentioned earlier that you first came across, you first saw us present back in 2010 during yes. our title year for GLLA in Pittsburgh. Yes. And then you saw us present again after that. Mm -hmm. And it's 2020. So basically, I'm, I'm tired. I need, I'm going to put everybody else to be presenter so that I can go sit. <laughs> That's my goal there. It's not because I'm um, just a nice person or anything like that. Well, I'm used to being voluntold, so that works. Very cool. Um, the other aspect, and we, we have a lot of neat things that we want to talk about, but the other mm -hmm. thing that I, you just made a comment that you've done some stuff on YouTube about, and I'll just let you tell the story, but we were talking about when we got around to the um, Aunt Jemima, which if people aren't familiar, they don't follow the news. There's a uh, maple syrup company. It's been around for quite a while. And mm -hmm. their, their spokes thing is um, Aunt Jemima, kind of like uh, Betty Crocker. Well, I guess Betty Crocker. No, she wasn't a real person. I don't know. It's just their bottle, the bottle is in the shape of some uh, gone with the wind error uh, African-American servants of some sort. And the company that's head behind Aunt Jemima said, that's not cool anymore. We're going to change that. And you probably done a YouTube about that. Well, I did a, a Facebook video. That's generally where I go to scream into the void. Um, but the, the Aunt Jemima thing is a, a mammy stereotype of a happy Southern slave. So yeah, it's good that they got rid of it. But um, one of the things that um, is interesting about those kinds of changes that are going on, and, and as I said, I did a video on my Facebook about it, is that um, America is like being in a really busted up car with, you know, with a, a string to a helicopter full of, you know, rich people. And um, in, in people in the car are now saying, hey, the car has gotten to the point where we have to stop. Let's fix other things as well. Um, Black and indigenous people are saying, 
this car hasn't run very well in a very, very long time, if ever, since we have to stop the car, let's fix the things like systemic racism, like the continued genocide of um, indigenous people, they're, the murdered and missing indigenous women, um, things like that. Let's fix all of these other things that we've ignored for a long time since we have to fix this major thing anyway. Um, and instead of doing that, what a lot of the people, what I call the helicopter people, the, the, the rich people who are essentially being elevated by, you know, this car careening down um, the runway um, and who are using that momentum to get as far away from the rest of us as possible, what they're essentially saying is, let's make your car look nice instead of actually fixing the car so that you can continue barreling down this road towards destruction, but we can be elevated away from it. And for me, there are a lot of things that are going on right now, not all of them, but most of the things that we're seeing as you know, victories for social change are essentially cosmetic. You're dealing with a symptom instead of the actual issues that are making the car that is America sick. Now let's bring that car to a stop in at FetLife Land and yes. Pink Land, and yes, and th these are you know obviously that these are big and important topics that mm -hmm. we're talking about, but it's got nothing mm -hmm. to do with kink, right? Yes. But I, I, I kind of expect, but it, it does have so I mean, it doesn't have anything <laughs> yeah. to do with kink, it's, I guess. It's, you know, it's not directly related, but it's a macro, it's a microcosm of the larger picture. So this kind of is where I'm leading to the mm -hmm. one of the self identifiers that you use is the term slave, isn't yes. it? And, and trust me, I know plenty of of white people that have a lot of challenge with the idea of using the master slave terminology at this point. I, I get the, is that just an, our Aunt Jemima moment where we're fixing something that doesn't need to be fixed or, I don't know, you tell me, what, what is your view on that? Well, um, I, I hadn't heard about these, these kinds of conversations until I spoke with you, but my feeling is that first, one of the great things about being an African-American in this day and age is that I get to choose the titles that I use. As the saying goes, I get to choose what I'm. Uh, I get to choose what I answer to. People can call me whatever they want, but I get to choose what I choose, what I answer to. So, it takes a lot for an African American person to kind of work through the history, especially in the diaspora, with that kind of master and slave terminology to get to a place where they are comfortable with that. And for me personally, that was about. Uh, it was a very traumatic experience, first of all, and that was about claiming this term that felt correct for me. Um, it was less about, you know, just using a label and more about using the one that felt right for me. And I did the internal work to be okay with that. I can't choose what somebody else chooses to call themselves. If they are not comfortable with that, I will use whatever identifier they prefer. But as for me, I get to make that choice as well. As far as choosing to change titles and change, you know, things like of that nature, 
the people who are who run those things are absolutely allowed to do that but it's just a cosmetic change if you're not looking at the structures that you are using and making sure that the discomfort behind those terms isn't internalized racial bias that you're giving out to other people that are a part of this organization as well. Now, what does that journey for you look like? I mean, why bother? Why? I mean, that's, it sounds like a challenging journey. Why bother? And, and how does it start? For There's me, gotta be, I, I would guess, I, I don't, I can't speak for your experience mm -hmm. or your perspective, but I would think part of your brain had to say, wait a minute, that's fucking crazy. Why do I even want to go there? Yeah, that's, that's true. And um, I find that a very human response. But for me, I remember coming, it, like I said, it wasn't so much, uh, oh, I found this term and I found this community, I'm going to use that phrase. It was going through the process of calling myself a submissive first, and then realizing that slaves fit better. And it was a very traumatic experience. I ended up curling on my bed in the dark, you know, listening to sad music. Um, <laughs> but, but in the end, I had to decide whether it was more important for me to be honest about who I was and live in that honesty, or was the fear of potential backlash um, whether that was, you know, societally within the community, um, from other black people or even spiritually and ancestrally was worth giving up my authenticity. At this point in my life, at this point in my journey, I had decided that what I wanted was to live my life authentically and identify in a way that was freeing for me, accepting the term slave and what that personally means to me and to my identity was not a restrictive term. It was a freeing term for me. Um, so I had to realize that if anything, my ancestors who wanted me to be free, wanted me to live authentically, wanted me to live in a space where nothing I did was hidden or a, a point of shame unless I made it that way. So, I had to be free. So do you get a lot of backlash at all? I mean, I know right now with what's going on in the community, even as, well, as a white woman, I'm getting some backlash calling myself mm -hmm. slave. Mm -hmm. I know when I wear my slave vest, we talked about this before, when I wear my slave mm -hmm. vest in a public place, I'll turn it inside out. I mean, the masters can get away with it, right? Theirs can say master on it, and it can mean a bunch of things. But slave means slave. And so do you get any backlash, especially from other African-American women, I guess? I don't know Surprisingly, I know. no. Um, I kind of expected it when I made that internal you know, switch and decision to kind of live out loud, show up and show out, as it were. I expected it. Um, what I got was less about that and more who I choose to kneel to. Mm. Um, I got resistance more about the fact that I was calling um, a white, at the time, white male um, master than anything else. Um, it was the idea of if you are going to be a black slave, it should be to another black person. Um, and that's where the backlash came in. 
so I'm not sure how to ask this question. So do you only serve white men? Oh, good um, question. No. It, yeah, it's a great question, but no. Um, I am pansexual and polyamorous and queer, so that's never been a factor. Um, I go where my energy is best received, to put it blank, to put it, you know, succinctly. Mm -hmm. I just happen to, uh, just based on uh, primarily basic geographic um, demographics and my own feelings about my service, generally ended up serving white people. Um, not so, not exclusively. I have had um, black male dominance in my past before. Um, however, I currently have a daddy who is genderqueer, um, primarily male identified, who is also white. Um, one of the interesting things about that situation is that having those two, um, primarily those two um, white male identified partners really taught me the difference between connecting myself and my energy to someone who is not racist and someone who is anti-racist. So it's another thing I had to come to grips with that that was going to be my reality. In the first instance, he was just who I was serving when I came to that discovery. In the second instance, I had been in this identity for a while and needed someone who could match my energy. So that's kind of how that came about. And it wasn't at all planned. And I did not exclude anyone based on race. So basically, you're choosing from what's available. Yes. Okay. I feel like we talked about that before. And I have more questions. <laughs> and I don't remember what they are. <laughs> So, oh, I did have another one, though, because you said that you currently serve a daddy. Yes. Does he use, and I should ask him, but maybe you know, does he use the term daddy because he likes the term daddy or because he doesn't want to be master? Good question. Um, luckily, we do have an answer for that. Okay. He is not at a place where he feels that he can wear the term master in the way that it means to me adequately it's a heavy term and comes with a lot of responsibility so he's not at that point yet he didn't really know anything about kink before he met me and i had to warn him that dating me is an intermediary class so <laughs> <laughs> i'm a bit much uh but um daddy came easily to him he tends to be a very nurturing, protective teacher type person. Um, he likes to teach me things um, repeatedly because I have trouble remembering. And, <laughs> and he is just very nurturing. And the little space that we are, I'm, I'm attempting to kind of let that part of me breathe, wasn't anything that kind of squeaked him. So daddy just came naturally to him and whether if he gets to the point of, you know, being, uh, you know, domly enough to feel that master is a title that he has earned in his own right is just a matter of progress. And maybe we'll get to that point and he 
will not choose that turn. And he knows that that's completely on him and not something I'm going to force on him. So, so what I'm hearing is that it's just a totally personal decision and just where he's at on his journey. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with the connotations that come with the word master. Yes. And a different um, plane altogether. Well, yes. please, please share my regards to with them for that. I am a big fan of, you don't just call yourself a, a word because it's a word. Mm -hmm. You do some reflection first. And sounds like that's the path they're on. Yeah. I know that one of the things that we heard um, from, so currently in the, the path of the international master slave titles, Master Obsidian was the first African-American to be the international master. And in later years, Master Blue took, mm -hmm. the, took the title and one of the things that Master Obsidian said to him was, oh, good. Now you can answer all the questions on what it's like to be a black person in this power exchange setting. Do you, do you get tired? And granted, you volunteered to come on the show to talk about this. So you can't say, you can't say right now. But do you get that a lot? Do you get tired of people saying, hey, I noticed that you're black. Can I ask you? Um. I don't, mainly because that hasn't been my experience. Um, I d have gotten uh, the occasional race play question considering the racial demographics of my power exchange. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't, I'm not tired of it because I haven't had a lot of that kind of interaction. Um, but I will say that I fully understand that kind of exhaustion. <laughs> of having those kinds of questions. Um, I'm waiting for them. I have no problem with them, but I understand what it's like to have been around and out a, a lot more broadly geographically and get tired of having, being essentially segmented into a particular category that doesn't take into account the fullness of who you are. But me, I'm fine. <laughs> and it's, it's tricky, right? Because although the, the reason you're on the podcast, obviously, today is we wanted to talk mm -hmm. to you as your experience as an African-American with being a slave, with having a white master, that kind of, what, or a white daddy in this case, and that kind yeah. of thing. But certainly that would be just a slice of who you are. And I'm sure if we did a podcast we could do 10 other topics that have nothing to do with the fact that you're an African-American and nothing to do with the, you know, what we've talked about so far. So I can only imagine when people see you and they identify, you know, what they're, Oh, look, it's that person from the podcast who identifies as an African-American slave with a white uh, partner. Right. Yeah. That could be somewhat, I, you know, like I guess the word you used was tiring. It can, um, especially those who aren't, um, living in my bubble of, uh, you know, in my head, um, for me, I make an effort that part of the history of, of my racial identity and how I'm viewed in the world is an aspect of everything I do. And that is a personal choice, but not every black person 
walks that kind of path. Every person's path is different. So I guess that's why it doesn't bother me as much because I want people to understand how the history of my melanin affects so much of my walk affects so much of how I move in the world and especially affects how I'm seen in the world. And that's the thing. African-American people, the way we're perceived everywhere we go, including the kink and leather communities, that kind of, that, that comes with a history. Um, and maybe they don't want to explore that history because in a lot of cases it's painful. Maybe they just want to be, I am this dominant, I am this, you know, submissive. And let's remove that history out of it so I can live in a space where it's not all consuming. Did I answer your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, the... um... So what what I'm hearing is, I mean, it's just to live your life authentically. I mean, there's there's a mm-hmm. lot of people out there that they they hear the terms master slave and they just some people don't understand that it's different. What we do consensually mm-hmm. in the kink world is different than slavery. You know, what, what did you call it last time? Chattel chattel, chattel slavery. Right? Yes. Yeah. So it's different than that and. I think people are thinking that if they can just wipe those words away to describe what it is, how we feel. I mean, I feel slave for someone to tell me that I can't use that word anymore. I have to really look at it because I I, I can't find another word Mm -hmm. that, that feels like what it is. So, but now we have people saying that if you use master and slave, you're no longer a safe person to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not listening to the, 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 you know, Black Lives Matter. You're not listening to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's, it's like can I, removing can those comment? words. Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, if, uh, the, I, what struck me was the people's, your comment that the people have said that you aren't listening to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter is an organization that specifically deals with the problem of systemic police brutality in our country. Unless you're specifically talking about, you know, police officers in the scene or police, like, uniform fetishists, Black Lives Matter is not concerned with what people are doing in their bedrooms. Like, so let's remove that, first of all. Um, Black Lives Matter is not policing your bedroom. That's not how that works. Um, Second of all, I feel like people have this idea, people outside of um, these minority communities, no matter what intersection that is, if you're not in that community, you have this idea of a monolith that does not exist. Just period, point blank, does not exist. And it's easier to try to codify one position and say, okay, I will respond to this. But the fact is, if you ask every single Black power exchange, uh, Black person in the, poly, poly, in the power exchange community, they are going to give you different answers, most likely. There's going to be some variation and some difference between 
what they feel is important and what they don't. As far as the language that we use, it is important because language is how we codify our experiences. Language is how we frame our experiences as we move in the world. However, if you are concerned about the comfort of Black people in your spaces, I think the problem in those spaces is not going to be fixed by changing a word. Changing a word may help affect your thoughts, but that's not the be all and end all of affecting systemic change. It's just not. It is one factor in an entire view. If you want to listen to Black people about their concerns, then listen to Black people about their concerns. Don't just assume that you know what would make us feel safe, what would make us feel seen, what would make us feel included. Ask, be teachable, be willing to listen. And listen not to respond, but to understand and internalize what someone else is saying to you. If someone, and, and also understand that, especially in your case, if someone does not feel safe around you because you choose a title that makes them uncomfortable, and that title is for you and not for them, you have to be okay with that. If that title matters to you and you're not using it as a bludgeon over somebody else's head, then you can't control how someone else reacts to that. All you control is how you move in the world. If someone else is uncomfortable, they have the choice to either distance themselves or work on that discomfort and maybe grow. But we get to choose what we call ourselves. We get to choose how we identify. And the other person can only choose whether they are going to be comfortable with that and with us or not. I would not take it personally if someone said what has apparently been said to you that they feel that you are no longer a safe person. Either your actions and the way you move in the world will allow them a space to reconsider or it won't. And they can go their way in, in peace and love and light and all that and you can go yours. Everybody ain't for everybody. Okay. One more question for you, if you don't mind. I say Dan's struggling with a question. No, no, I, I've got the question. I want to make sure that I approach it in such a way that I get the answer that I want to get. Okay. okay. Here we go. Have you, you've been to, you've seen Dawn and I present, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of other people present as well. Yes. You've seen some that are very skillful, some that are less skillful. Yes. Those that are less skillful, no matter how intelligent they are, if they are boring speakers that speak in monotonous and are not passionate about what they're talking about, you tend to tune out, don't you? Yeah. I know where this is going now. I don't know. <sighs> Clearly, one of the needs is, or one of the, th uh, you know what, I'm going to stick with needs. One of the mm -hmm. important needs for us is to have people that are passionate about what they're speaking about, speaking about it from a place of, 
of personal investment and that can share in a way that people will stay engaged and actually listen to them. I think that you've got that ability. Mm. What would, how would people that agree with me when they listen to this podcast <laughs> and want to book you to present, how would they get a hold of you? And, and um, to be honest, we've played with this last time some, and we talked about, and I'm not, it's not an easy thing to get in front of people and be a presenter. Not that. Um, and if it's something that does not feed you, then absolutely don't do it. Do what feeds you. But I, my perception is that it would feed you. Uh, and I would hate for you not is to a, even try. That, that is a, a, a valid perception. And as you heard last time, from my lovely Irish daddy who could not be quiet <laughs> once I started the negative self-talk. Um, it is something that feeds me. I do enjoy talking to people about my experiences. And if people want to hear uh, about my thoughts and experiences on living a, a, a more authentic life and, and inclusivity and, and things like that, there are a couple of ways to reach me. Um, I am on uh, the Book of Faces. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Amanda Taylor. On, I'm Amanda Taylor on Facebook. Um, I have um, an email address, uh, Black Parfait. That's going to be part of um, the podcast and YouTube channel of the same name. Um, that I will also be starting up as soon as we can work out how to do editing stuff. <laughs> um, and those are, I'm also on FetLife. I do, I check my messages, even though I'm not on there very much, but I'm trying to keep better about my messages. So I'm instant underscore minion on FetLife, but the best way to reach me is Amanda Taylor um, on Facebook, which um, I'm in Pittsburgh. I, it says I work at Leather. There's a picture of me and my, my daddy um, and Black Parfait, P-A, excuse me, at gmail.com. So that's Black B-L-A-C-K, Parfait, P-A-R-F-A-I-T, P-A, at gmail.com. Um, I am open to being asked and, and um, working in our new COVID environment as a presenter if someone is interested. Yeah, awesome. and don't feel bad that nobody reaches out because right now nobody's presenting anywhere, uh, which is great <laughs> right now. We, we would love to have you back when that uh, – we talked a little bit about that podcast that you're putting together, and we'd love to have you back when that hits the ground mm -hmm. so that we can um, get out there, you know, get, get it more widely known. I would love so that. Thank you for so much for being on the podcast today and for being vulnerable and answering our questions and letting us be vulnerable and giving us feedback too when we need to hear it. That's very, very much appreciated. I totally get the idea of uh, um, all the energy that it takes to continue to have this conversation, but, and the mm -hmm. fact that you're willing to have out there and, and just kind of said, I'm open for more of it. I very much appreciate that and your patience with us. For people that don't know how the whole podcast thing works, we've been trying to get this together for a number, well, a number of months, and, and that's even being generous. And then we did it <laughs> yes, last a week ago, and now we have to do it again because the recording didn't work. I'm checking, and the recording says that it's worked fine, so we're good. Okay. Uh, with all that, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I hope we get thank to you for having Pittsburgh me. sometime soon and see oh, you again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. You got it. Have a wonderful day. And I know um, 
Dawn, we didn't get a chance to touch, touch on the Afro, Afro spiritual thing. So feel free to email me. If you I plan on it. I plan on it. I'm going to ask you about that. So absolutely. Fabulous. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Seriously. Thank you.